Oh, no, this was this is something I learned from you. I think. What's that? Uh, the the alway being probably a typo. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's more than probably a typo. It's definitely a typo. Boom. But it's like game changer. But here's the thing, though. It's like an episcop. Uh-huh. It's like an episcopal typo. Oh yeah, it's tradition now. Yeah, it is tradition. So him yeah. him six fifty seven, stanza two, uh, thee we would be all way blessing. It's been published that way in Episcopal hymnals since eighteen ninety two, the eighteen ninety two hymnal. Um, but what it should be, because uh, this is Wesley, right? Love divine, all loves excelling. Yeah, it should be thee we would be always blessing, with an S. So, yeah, I, I've been compiling these little hymnal errors uh, into a document I call Hymnal 1982 Errata. Because as far as I know, a document of this kind does not exist. Yeah. And, you know, these little printing errors that crop up here and there, they have some of them have been corrected in subsequent printings. But, you know, more often than not, you've got a, an Episcopal church that bought the hymnal pretty early on. Bef- yeah. Or they brought they bought stock that had already been printed, um, and a lot of these errors exist in the hymnals and the pews of our churches. Um, so there's I've got a whole list here. I, I counted the other day. I think we're up to about twenty nine or thirty. And um, I'll tell you one that I just found, and okay. and this really made my heart hurt. <laughs> uh, can you look up him 701 701 this is kind of a lutheran chorale jesu mina freuda yes and would you read uh just the first couple phrases of the first stanza yes jesus all my gladness my repose and sadness jesus heaven to me ah my heart long paineth ah my spirit straineth longeth after thee okay so your your hymnal has the typo because that word paineth my heart my heart long paineth you know that's believable um Uh for a minute this is the error that word should be plaineth with an l um as in explain or complain my Hmm. my heart long plaineth to sort of go along with the straineth uh, that it rhymes with um, yeah. So it, it's not it's not supposed to be about pain at all. So this is a particularly um, this is a particularly egregious omission here in the word, and um, it's corrected in like a lot of these typos. It's corrected in future printings of the hymnal, and yeah. uh, it's also correct in the previous hymnal, the 1940 hymnal. Got it right from day one, probably. So. Um, uh-huh. Well, you know, several hymnals from now people will be looking at this and going why does it say paineth though yeah you know i I, just like just like always blessing right 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 no i think it's important uh, that we we do have a a list of this that represents the collective wisdom of the church and that especially when the day comes to have a new hymnal or um i don't know well i'm not entirely convinced that day will come I th- Are you not? I think I think it should come. I, I just don't know. 
I don't know if we're really going to muster the will to kind of redo the official hymnal of the church. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's a separate conversation. But, you know, after you develop this list of, of errors and you sort of are aware that most of them are kind of lurking out in the pews, I, I think that is kind of a, a strong argument for redoing the hymnal at some point. I mean, it's been, we're coming up on 40 years of the hymnal being in the pews. So it's, I think it's getting to be time. Yeah. Yeah, but they, uh, they said, was it this past general convention that essentially put it off until there's a new book of common prayer? Well, I also think that makes good sense because I don't want to, I don't want to speak exclusively badly about the hymnal 1982. I think it's a, I think it's an outstanding book and I think it largely serves churches very well to this day. Um, and one of the reasons it serves the church so well is because is precisely because, uh, the editors of that book waited until they had, a a prayer book to do their work. So right. the service music um, and the translations uh, that were that were used for the service music all generally correspond to the way the prayer book envisioned um, the liturgy going. So things like, you know, fraction anthems and on you stay, uh, the, the, um, all the music for the particular daily offices of the book, it's all sort of, uh, corresponds to the prayer book itself, which is helpful. Yeah, I I think there's good sense in waiting until we have a new prayer book before writing uh, or or compiling a new hymnal. Um, but that may be more fuel for the fodder that the um, the hymnal revision seems pretty far off because <laughs> prayer book revision seems so far off. Right. Yeah. It it goes hand in hand, and I don't I don't know which one will be harder. <laughs> I think the longer we wait, the harder it will be it will become. I uh, I. Pretty much agree with that. Yeah. I think that, especially after the revision of 1979, the the way in which that went down, and this isn't, I'm not one of those people who says we should have handled it differently or, or anything like that, but just because it was such a drastic change, I think it left a taste in people's mouths that we should never go through that again because it was so... Uh, dramatic so sort of heart-wrenching for people mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. so much of a source of contention yeah yeah i'm with you and i don't know too many people who seem to feel that way about the hymnal exactly although people have some strong feelings about it and so maybe i just don't run in enough musical circles <laughs> well i don't know i mean if i had to if i had to summarize i think the feelings of Episcopal church musicians and, and maybe Episcopal choirs. Um, I think in general, the Episcopal church is very proud of that book. Um, I think, yeah. I think it did a lot, right? I think everybody has his or her own kind of list of quibbles with it, you know, fa either favorites from the 1940 that didn't get included or, um, things that were altered or things that were included that, you know, so in such and such a place will never have uh, occasion to use. Um, but like I said, in general, I think, I think the book was seen as a big success. 
And, you know, with, with where we are now, with the ability to kind of harvest anything that you want for a particular service, um, in most places, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. If you like the translation that was in the 1940 better, use that. If you like the harmonization that was in the 1940, uh, use that. So full disclosure, we just sang hymn 701, and um, it was a choir member who pointed out this discrepancy in the words. So shout out to Samantha if she's listening. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I, I, another choir member uh, pointed out at the same time, you know, this harmonization is really terrible. <laughs> because in her mind, she was used to hearing the Johann Sebastian Bach harmonization of that chorale tune. Mm-hmm. And what had been included in the 1982 was the, I believe, Johann Kruger harmonization. And this kind of goes, you know, hand in hand with some of the things that were done in that book, trying to get closer to, um, I guess you could say closer to the source material for some of these German chorales. Um, And incidentally, it corresponds with what was done in the Lutheran hymnal uh, that came out in 1978. Just, uh, just around the same time, actually preceding the Episcopal hymnal. Um, so in that particular case, you would have to make a choice. You can't use the Bach harmonization with the Kruger chorale. It's, it's just a little bit too different. Um, but you certainly could, uh, and I might have done this had I known better in advance, you certainly could reach for the, the, the harmonization that's in the 1940 and use that in place of the hymn that's at 701. And, and it's just to use another, just to use another example that I've seen um, of a, a hymn from the 1940 being used really effectively. Um, I know that a lot of my colleagues in Advent use the 1940 translation of Vakit Alf, um, which is, I guess, hymn number three in the 1940. Uh, so in the 1982, you have Sleepers Wake, A Voice Astounds Us, um, and the translation in the 1940 is slightly different. Wake, awake, for night is flying. This is a Catherine Winkworth translation of the mm. chorale. And um, I don't know, in, in a lot of people's minds, the poetry of that really can't be surpassed. Uh, uh-huh. And there are, there are turns of phrase that you don't really come close to in the, in the 1982 version. Um, so that, that, is, that is exciting to sing. Um, but I'm just rambling now. <laughs> no, it's good, but I mean, it's, it's useful to think about the fact that it's so much easier, especially if you have a choir that has certain um, opportunities in the liturgy to sing things, to sing choral settings of mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. that that is a time where you can tie in pieces from, even even hymns from the hymnal 1940. Right. Um, whereas you don't have that luxury with, say, the, the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. You can't say, oh, I much prefer the the text of this particular prayer from 1928, so I'm just going to use that. Well, I guess the, the 
corollary there is that it's um, right one. Right one is sort of as close as you get to the previous prayer book. Yeah, but there are, I mean, but there are some significant differences and especially, you know, staunch Anglican traditionalists will be quick to point out that the that the ordo of right one is not the same as the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. No, it's not exactly the same. Sure. Um, and so there is a there is a little bit difference. And that's not to say that it's it, that one way or the other is better. I just I, I just don't often think about how much easier it is to maintain that tie to earlier resources musically if you have, say, a choir that can sing something from an earlier edition. Yeah, it's it's a little bit easier, but, you know, it's not a decision I make lightly, especially when right. especially when I'm putting the older version or a different version of the hymn in front of the congregation. So a, a real a real crisis of confidence for me and I'm still not convinced that I've made the right choice. But just within the past year, I've shifted from uh, the version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that's in the hymnal 1982. Mm-hmm. And here again is a, an example of something that I think is trying to get closer to the source material. So the, the version of the hymn that's printed in the 82 is very um, plain song uh, it's it, it's um, it's in the style of plain song, and, right. and this is a really interesting case because this hymn has such a tortured origin story that you know you could make an argument that to, to present it as plain song is historic is more historically accurate, but given how much it's a product of um, kind of a nineteenth century imagining of what of what plain song was. You could also make the argument that it's it's totally okay to metricize the hymn and put it in bar lines with a four four time signature, and mm-hmm. and to be perfectly honest, <laughs> this is the way the whole rest of the world sings this hymn, as far as I can tell, that it's and and even the way that a large portion of the Episcopal Church sings this hymn. If yeah, we're honest. Uh, that's true. That you know, even if you're reading out of the hymnal 1982. That the organist takes the prerogative just to put the bar lines in. Yeah, um, that, that's absolutely true. So, um, I, I've I've had this this long stretch of of being a director of music where I've tried to be really faithful to what's on the page in the 1982. But I'm now I'm now transitioning into the camp where I think you know what we just need to we just need to put the bar lines in and and through the advent um, through the um, not the advent. Uh, that's a funny word in this con- in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it is by the by the use of music notation software. I have literally put the bar lines in and put a, a different looking version of that hymn uh, in front of my congregation when we've when we've used it. Yeah. Yeah. And how much has that affected the way that they sing it? Yeah, I mean that that, that was my whole reason for doing it, and um, right and. And had had they not respond well, you know, it's the kind of thing where since I have the ability to make it look right, I want uh-huh. people, I want people to see what the organ is, is leading. Um, I, right. I don't want them to have to guess for for those of them who are familiar with reading music. So yeah. you know, it was all of a package for me. And yeah, the the singing of the metricized version of O Come O Come Emmanuel uh, was very strong. So I, I don't really feel a need to go back at this point.
You know that what this reminds me of is that there was a discussion relatively recently about pausing at the asterisk in recitation of the psalm. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of what it reminds me of because really the biggest difference, the biggest difference between the two versions of Okamokoma Manual we're talking about is whether you pause for breath at the end of a phrase, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the way most people tend to sing it, and you'll have some very, very staunch uh, advocates of either side who say, this is the way everyone sings it, this is the way it needs to be written, and some who say, no, it's written so that you just, you sing all of it in one breath. Right, and, I, and then you get into a question of, well, if you're really going to do that, what tempo do you need to take it at that a congregation can manage that phrase in one breath? Right, and then right. I, I think then you then you kind of get into the realm of the academic because, <laughs> you know, yeah, at some point you probably are taking it fast enough for a congregation to do it in one breath, uh, but they still might breathe anyway. <laughs> right, so, right, so exactly. So then, then you're kind of taking it, you know, maybe needlessly fast. And why are you doing that? It's all very, uh, it's all very complicated. Yeah, but the sa- you'll have the same sort of discussions about the about pausing at the asterisk, and this is you know this. You'll have the same sort of uh, exuberance is probably a nice word for it um, on either side about this because there's actually very specific guidance in the in the Book of Common Prayer about this. Mm -hmm. So on page 583 in the section concerning the Psalter for the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. Um, three paragraphs down from the top of the page, it says an asterisk divides each verse into two parts for reading or chanting. In reading, a distinct pause should be made at the asterisk. And it's not even it's not even optional the way that that um, presents it. It says should be exactly yeah. exactly. This is very very. This is this is a directive rubric. You know, this is mandatory. Like this is how it's read. Yeah. And I've been a lot of places that have tried to do that, have tried to pause at the at the asterisk, mm-hmm. and I have been zero places that it's done well and in a way that is not at all a source of anxiety for people <laughs> participating in reciting the psalm. I mean, that sounds familiar. So my, my, <laughs> my experience with that is uh, the daily office at, at Christ Church Cathedral in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. Um, this was started so that there would be morning and evening prayer every weekday. Um, and it was started by the, by the previous Dean. And on day one, uh, I was there, the Dean just got everybody together. And I I think we only really talked about it the first day. He might've addressed it later as new people kind of came into the, to the rhythm of the offices. Um, but he said, uh, let's take a very intentional pause here. And um, we, we shouldn't be in a hurry about this. We should use the pause for meditation. And then once we say the second half of our verse, the other side will um, immediately say their, their first half, and then they will pause and turn. So, you know, there we were, we were sitting close enough together. It was a small enough community. It was an intentional enough community um, that that was set really really well from the beginning and um you know it wasn't always perfect but there was always that idea uh, that it was going to be spacious yeah and i've been i've been places that have tried to do that but the trouble is the the congregation varies from day to day Mm -hmm. right right and uh and 
either you're giving very specific guidance as to exactly how long that pause is, and then it doesn't serve its purpose because people are basically counting it out rather than being intentional about that space. Right. Or you leave it more open-ended and then people are even more anxious about it because they want to make sure that they're not three words behind when everybody (laughs) else decides to start in. Right. And I don't mean to say that it never works well. I think in communities, especially monastic communities, which is where this really comes from, Mm -hmm. um, but especially in monastic communities where the congregation is more or less the same from day to day, where you do have that opportunity to really build this as a rhythm, as a part of your prayer, I think that it can be really, really beautiful and really, really meaningful. But I have yet to be part of a worshiping community or congregation where it functions that way for everyone, right. at least. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is a way where, um, where it's my job as a musician to say this, because you know, the Psalms. Yes, the prayer book makes provision for them to be spoken, but really, <laughs> really, they should be sung. Um, and I, I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek about that judgment call. <laughs> Uh, and I have to be or I'd be fired. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, one of the ways that this can be handled is um, I've heard I've heard sometimes uh, in, in corporate singing that the organ can sustain during that pause and then kind of with a harmonic shift cue uh, when the next part is to begin. So sometimes like a very light organ accompaniment can take the charge of that pause and then it becomes the domain of the organist. Um, in corporate, unaccompanied psalm singing, uh, it could be the job of the conductor. And enough of the congregation could see the conductor in the choir uh, that that would sort of take the decision out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you can make arguments against both of those approaches. But I think uh, singing it with the leadership of a choir or, or an organ, either way, could potentially solve that problem more than it creates a new one. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, you know, this, uh, the idea of him singing, the idea of um, corporate recitation, I mean, all of it, hopefully use that word rhythm all of it hopefully uh will become kind of ingrained in a community's liturgical practice uh as everybody learns the rhythm together right Um, so i have a i have a somewhat distinctive way of leading hymns and um it was one that i brought to my current parish saint peter's um, and I gathered that it differed a little bit from the way my, my predecessor led hymns. It has to do with the breath between stanzas. Um, I really like to, as much as I can, sort of keep the larger pulse intact uh, between stanzas. And so what that means is maybe sometimes lengthening the final chord just a little bit after people have stopped singing, and then always leaving a very clear kind of one-two uh, pulse uh, two pulses in in the in the space between the stanzas, and the reason I do that is psychologically, you know, people need a minute to hear that the organ has lifted, and then in the next minute they need to be able to physically take a breath. So that's mm-hmm. that's the sort of reason for the one-two count there. 
Yeah. Um, and then I have a, you know, I have my own particular way that I like to line it up. Um, but what it, what it means is that, uh, it tends to be more space than people are used to having, um, between stanzas. Mm-hmm. And so e- even, even in, um, you know, newer congregations, say a, a congregation that's just gathered for a wedding. Um, I still lead hymns the way I always have. And sometimes you can tell those people who are really trained to take a quick breath and come right in because they will come right in during my breath. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even, you know, even if we're just gathered for a single service on a Saturday afternoon, um, people have learned by the second breath, oh, it's going to be a little bit longer here. I'll wait. And so mm-hmm. that, that's an easy kind of adjustment for a, a community to make. Um, and it's one that I've seen happen, uh, you know, in the course of a service or, you know, in the number of years that I've been on the organ bench at, at, at a single parish, I've seen that change uh, take place in a really solid way. And it really, yeah. you know, over time, it really strengthens our hymn singing together. That makes sense. Yeah. But I tell you what, nothing, nothing strengthens hymn singing like having a, a hymnal that's free of errors. <laughs> it's true. That's true. That does. Uh, that tends to help the oi polloi who are not necessarily musically or music history inclined. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when when there are when there are mistakes in the words or or the words are just flat out wrong, um, that's just a problem for everybody. Yeah. I mean, right. And this is the thing. Like, we end up asking people to sing. Thee we would be always blessing. Yeah. And no one, no one knows that word. Yeah. I mean, people it, just assume like, oh, that's, I guess that's an old fashioned churchy word. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's not guys. It's the word always. Like everybody, underst- right. <laughs> everybody understands that word. <laughs> I was, I think I only learned about this in the last year, and I was really disheartened to learn that some of those early printings of hymn 618 um, have a misprint on triumphant. It's missing the last two letters of that word, so it just says triumpha. Um, hmm. uh, that's confusing. Uh, yes. And then I think in other, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, in other printings that has been corrected, but then it introduces a new error on the phrase God the Son, it emits the D, and so it mm. says, "Go the Son." God the Father, go the Son, and God the Spirit. Is that is that how your hymnal reads? No, mine has triumpha. Oh, you have the early one. Okay, I think you yeah. have triumpha. And actually, I, I would have to do some more research to figure out which one was first. Yeah, it's it's just kind of a mix and match. And you know, I get it. Like editing, editing is hard, <laughs> and I understand. <laughs> the very real possibility that when you change one thing, you're going to introduce another error. But, um, I don't know. I feel like this stuff is, is important. And, uh, at this stage, I just want to make sure that we have a list of, of everything that we know is wrong. Well, right. I mean, pointing out the errors so that they don't continue to be made is not, is not saying that the people who did this are incompetent or did their job poorly. Like some of these are going to creep in, but we need to be cognizant of them so that we don't repeat them and wind up with a quote unquote always situation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, that situation has been going on (laughs) in the last four printings of the, of the Episcopal hymnal. So, 
you know, then you have to have a conversation about tradition. (laughs) When does a, when does a mistake become tradition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll put this, uh, hymnal errata in the show notes. If people are interested in perusing my list and, um, if there is an error that you have identified or you identify in the future, please do get in touch because, uh, I'd love for this to be comprehensive. So we have, uh, we sang a hymn on Sunday, which this is not an error, but it does strike me as a, uh, maybe a lapse in judgment in terms of the, uh, actual phrasing. Okay. So this is from hymns 475, mm-hmm. which is God himself is with us. Oh, yeah. Not one that I think we sing tons and tons in the Episcopal church, but hopefully not wildly unfamiliar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the fourth stanza, um, it says, "Come abide with, come abide within me. Let my soul, like Mary, be thine earthly sanctuary. Come, indwelling Spirit, with transfiguring splendor, love and honor will I render." And the way that it's phrased, fig- transfiguring, is three syllables. Right. Which does not does not work it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue but (laughs) here we get into the here we get into the realm of uh poetic license and hymn writing and Mm -hmm. there there are certainly some questionable um choices of syllabic elision i guess is what we're talking about here yeah and and i've seen that i mean it happens all the time yeah uh, but this is one that, to my mind, just does not work. Yeah, it's it's tough. But I, I love I love the imagery there and the poetry of the rest of the hymn so much that I'm I'm willing to forgive it. Uh, I think I think we're singing that one this Sunday, actually. Oh yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll pay special attention to it. Um, see if see if the choir has any difficulty anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of All Things Right and Musical. If you've enjoyed this episode about errors in the hymnal, etc., we hope you will tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's spelled R-I-T-E and musical.org. Please take a minute to rate and review our podcast wherever you listen to it. If you enjoy this podcast, why not tell a friend about us? A special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.